Tonight, we're continuing our series in the book of Acts, and it's Acts to the ends of the earth. And um, if you've missed last week, or as always, if you missed uh, any of the messages, you can always go online to comingkeychristian.org, get the latest on all the messages and, and everything else. Uh, this last week, we sent out an email to everyone uh, about, it's a, it's a reading list. To, so you, if you want to read along with us in the book of Acts, what we've done is um, uh, the, the reading for, for this coming week is actually the passage that we're going to be studying. So, so we'll talk about it. And then if you're in a Ohana group, which a lot of you are, like 30 or 40% of our church is in Ohana group, then, then, um, then you'll talk about that in your group. Then you're going to be reading it. And you're just going to really be immersed in this, uh, uh, this, this book of Acts, this history of the early church. And, um, and it's always good to do. If you did not get that email, make sure on your connection card in front of you and the chair in front of you, just write down your name, your email address, and say, I would like the reading list. Please add me to the email list, something like that. And we'll make sure that you get the um, uh, email list and, 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 and the reading list sent to you as well. So, last week, here's where we left off. After choosing... The 12th apostle, because Judas Iscariot hung himself, and the Holy Spirit coming at Pentecost, and Peter standing up and explaining to everyone in Acts 2 what was going on, we come to our passage now about the early church and what they start to do. And so let's look at this restoration that's happening in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. We, uh, we read this from Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke. Luke writes this, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship of the breaking, and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day... They continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved saved. What we see in these verses is something exciting. It's something new. Something is, is growing. Something has just started, and everyone is so excited. The Holy Spirit has come. Jesus has ascended. It was a beautiful picture, and now they're gathering together daily for prayer, for fellowship, for all these things, and, and, and they're just encouraging one another. They're building one another up. They're saying, God loves you. Jesus loves you. Let us share this message to all people, and it's an exciting and, and, and just, just vibrant time in the life of the early church. But notice that there's um, four marks of the early church, something that was important to the early church. The first one, they said that they devoted themselves to the teaching, the apostles' teaching. And, and, and we are big in the teaching. We want people to know the Bible. We want people to know God's Word. That's one of the reasons we've created this series, How the Bible Was Built. And, and you can always go to our YouTube channel and, and look up Kaimiki Christian Church, and then you'll find how the Bible was built. That's, it's fully animated. And on Monday, 
we're releasing video six of seven of this fully animated series, How the Bible Was Built. And uh, you could follow us online, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and, and get all of that. Or if you want in an email, again, write it on your connection card. But we're big on knowing God's Word, not just His Word, but, but, but applying His Word. We want to know what, what God is, what he, what he has said to people years and years ago, and what it meant to them, and what it means to us today. That's what we want to do as followers of Jesus. So we, we teach God's Word, and we want to know God's Word. And sometime in the future, in the near future, we're going to be offering Bible courses um, through Hope International University where, where, one, you could take it for credit if you want credit, and you could transfer it to any university because it's fully accredited, um, or you could just take it because you want to take a ministry Bible course. And so we are doing that because we're big on teaching. We want to teach, we want to encourage, and we want to build up our faith through teaching as well. So we've got teaching, and then we have fellowship. Fellowship is connecting with other believers on a deep level. A few months ago, I um, went to a friend's house because I think, or maybe it was last month, um, but went to a friend's house and, um, and, and I, think, um, I think Rocky had come back, I think, to visit. And anyways, but there was a whole, there was about 20 people there, all ages, all people, and I remember Jay Jarman was there. And, and, and Jay said to me, he said, Brian, um, did you, have you ever had anything like this? And what he meant was the fellowship, the connection, the intimacy, the, just that bonding that was happening. And I said, you know, back, back on the mainland, I had friends. I had good friends. I had connections and all that. But there was something about the fellowship that what we had there and that, w- that we have, and I told him, no, I've never experiencing, experienced anything quite like this. Fellowship is so important to the growth of our faith, to the growth of us growing closer to the Lord, closer to one another. And, um, and, 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 and fellowship is something that we, we can't neglect. we got to spend time with others and be real and transparent, take the masks off. And say, here's who I am. <laughs> you know, the good, the bad, the ugly. And the beauty of fellowship is that we have brothers and sisters who are there to care for us and love us no matter what. So they're devoted to fellowship. Also developed to eating together. In Hawaii, I've learned we love to eat. I mean, I think I've gained like 20 pounds. I'm just blaming it on Hawaii, you know. <laughs> Eating is great. Like, like if you are going to have a meal, you generally don't invite a stranger to your table at your house. Fair enough. You know, if you're going to invite someone to your dinner table, and you're going to get out the, you know, the, 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 the good silverware, you're going to invite somebody that you know or, or someone you want to get to know. You're going to maybe get out the barbecue and cook up that, you know, that choice meat that you know how to cook just perfect. Or you're going to get those noodles that you know how to make just right, and you want to prepare for somebody. But, but we do that because we want to know people, so we invite them over for dinner, or we invite them to go out to dinner, and you get to know someone more and more. Eating together is a special event, and, and, um, and even here, every service we have food after services 
and sometimes, um, you know, you'll have, you know, and, and every week it's different. That's what's, that's what's great about our church. Every, every week it's different. You don't know what you're going to get. It's so eclectic. And, uh, and after service, you know, you go home full. I always go home with a bag of food. I love it. That's great. And our ministry, and I always jokingly say but kind of seriously say that I think the food hospitality ministry is the best ministry because they feed our stomachs, right? They're great. And, and, and we got people they're there because they care for us. They serve us. And then we got uh, uh, Dana walking around saying, here you go, here you go. It's such a blessing, you know. And he's saying, you got different foods. All you got to do is say, you know, and you get it. But, but they devoted themselves to eating together. There's something, something special about eating together. And then they devoted themselves to prayer. Richard Foster says that prayer catapults us onto the frontier of the spiritual life. And... You may or may not know that, um, that we have a Vietnamese church that meets here at 3 p.m. on Sundays, and the pastor's Pastor Tosh, and I'm sure most of you know Pastor Tosh, uh, a month ago he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, and then uh, yesterday, no, this morning at 3.30, 3.20, he, he passed away. And, and so what we want to do is just take this moment and put into practice what the early church did. They prayed. And so we just want to pray for Kim, his wife, for Quan and Charlene and the kids and all the loved ones. We want to pray for the Vietnamese church. And, and if you would, let's just, let's just pray. Let's just put this passage into action. Father, we come to you with sad hearts. We come to you. Humbly and ask your hand to be upon Kim as she mourns the loss of her beloved husband. We are so grateful for the life and ministry of Pastor Tosh. He impacted the lives of so many people. God, we pray for comfort for Kim and for Quan and Charlene and the kids. Pray for comfort for all the loved ones who are surrounding Pastor Tosh. We pray for the, the love we pray for your Holy Spirit to, to be upon the church, that the church would, would grow, the church would get through this. Father, we pray for your Holy Spirit to come down and the only God in our eyes would be lifted upon you. Father, And sometimes we don't always know what to pray, but God, we lift up the situation to you. We lift up the family, we lift up the church. And Father, we commit it to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. As we get more information, we'll be relaying that. But keep the family and the church in prayer as it is definitely a difficult time. So not only were the believers committed to teaching and to fellowship and to eating together and to praying together, but they're also a generous church. From day one, we see that the church is a generous church, generous in so many different ways. N.T. Wright says this, uh, he says it in his commentary, Acts for Everyone, these early believers seem to have not sold their houses in which they lived since they went on meeting in individual homes. Rather, they sold property they possessed 
a highly significant thing for people for whom land was not just an economic asset, but part of the ancestral heritage, part of God's promise inheritance. Christians saw themselves as a single family, just as a biological family would share shelter, food, and money, so did the early Christians. They also shared more, of course, the same baptism, faith, and fellowship. A lot of um, these, these notes and a lot of the research, that the main uh, source I'm using is it comes from this book, um, Acts for Everyone by N.T. Wright. And if you want to go even deeper in your walk with the Lord, deeper in teaching and in learning, this is a great commentary series that's, that's great for, for everyone at whatever level you're at. So, um, so this early group of believers, they met regularly and they grew numerically. And Luke says that on a number of occasions, that they grew numerically, like, like he was highlighting that, like he wants the church to grow. And I'm so excited to be a part of our church because I get to see how just fantastic our church is. And our church is growing, it's trending upwards in terms of numbers. But not only that, I see spiritual depth, I see spiritual growth, which is so valuable and so important as we grow and figure out what life is all about. And we want to continue to grow. We want to continue to grow spiritually. We want to continue to grow numerically. And, and we, we want to celebrate that, just like the early church celebrated that. They're, they're growing spiritually. They're, they're, they're growing in their teaching. They're growing in their fellowship. And they're growing in numbers. And they celebrated that. And, and we will continue to celebrate all those successes and give glory to God. And, uh, and, and, and then after Acts 2, Luke writes the account of this healing of a homeless man. And, and in Acts chapter 3, Something very interesting happened. So Acts chapter 3, let's look at chapter 3, verses 4 uh, to 10. Peter looks straight. So, so there's this homeless man at the, at, at this, uh, right in front of the temple, at, at this gate called Beautiful. He was in front of the temple, and he was begging for money. He couldn't walk. He was paralyzed from the waist down. So verse 4, Peter looks straight at him. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking around and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So in this account, there's two things that kind of pop out in my mind here. One is that Peter and John intently look at this man. This man is begging, asking for money, and Peter and John says, look at me. I can only imagine, perhaps this homeless man had embarrassment. Maybe he was embarrassed that he was homeless. Maybe other people were embarrassed to look at him. 
I don't know, but Luke emphasizes the fact that they says that 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 that, that Paul and John or the, uh, Peter and John said, "Look at me, look at me," and they made eye contact. It must have been this special connection. How many times have we just looked at someone in the eye, letting them know that we see them? Like we see them. We, we see them as a human being. We see them as God's creation. And I think there is something unique and special, and there is a connection there. And then what happened next was not just a human connection, but it was a God divine intervention connection where, where Peter and John Say, in the name of Jesus, he says, get up and walk. But notice what Peter doesn't say. Peter doesn't say, stand up, you're healed. Jesus could have done that. Jesus could say, stand up, you're healed. But what does Peter do? He emphasizes the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, get up. There's power in the name of Jesus. There is power in his name. They knew that Jesus died and that he ascended and that anything good that happened was because of Jesus. And they wanted Jesus to get the honor and the praise. And as we see what happens further and further on this, they always deflect the attention on themselves and they give it to Jesus because this man was healed. And Peter and, and John were saying, it wasn't us, it was Jesus. Give the praise, give the glory, give the honor to Jesus, because we can't heal on our own. So they made sure to give glory to Jesus. But also notice where the healing took place. Outside of the temple. And what we see here, and Luke is intentional about this, we see a shift from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant, from the Old Testament to the New Testament. There is a, a shift, and the change is that, that God is on the move. The implications that, we, that Luke is getting at is that God is no longer confined by the walls of the temple. And it's interesting that Luke began and ended his gospel in the temple. If you read the gospel of Luke, the beginning and the end starts in the temple. And I think what Luke is communicating to us now is that the good news of Jesus, the good news that Jesus died and that he rose again and we can have a relationship with him, though it has its beginning in Jerusalem, is now starting to reach out to the ends of the earth. Though it had its starting point, its beginning point in Jerusalem, this message of hope, of love, of restoration is now for everyone. What the Israelites are supposed to do all throughout the Hebrew Scriptures and the Old Testament, take the love of God, the hope of God, the forgiveness of God to all the nations, now is starting to actually happen because Jesus came and sacrificed his life for us. And then what happens in verses 11 to 26, all these onlookers are coming. You could imagine you have someone at the temple here who's, who's a homeless person, paralyzed from the waist down, someone they see every single day. And then all of a sudden, he's healed. You could imagine word got out. 
And that was before social media, right? <laughs> Just a few years before. But that's word of mouth. And all of a sudden, there's thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people there saying, what is going on? And then once again, Peter gets up. And he says, let me tell you what's happening. Let me tell you what is going down right now. Let me explain to you what is happening. You know the Jesus that you just sent to the cross? You know the Jesus that you just said was a criminal, but he wasn't, and he rose again? That same Jesus, and Peter's telling this to the entire crowd, that same Jesus is the one who healed this homeless man and who made him able to walk. And then he calls him to action. In Acts chapter 3, verses 19. Acts chapter 3, starting with verse 19. You know, what should they do? Because they're like, whoa, like this is heavy stuff. And then Peter says this, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. So Peter is talking to them. He's saying, do you realize that you have done this? Do you realize that this is because you have done this? But yet repent because Jesus wants to forgive you. Jesus wants a relationship with you. Even though the, the, the group there and everyone was involved at some, some degree put Jesus on the cross, Peter is still emphasizing Jesus still wants to forgive you. Jesus still wants a relationship with you. Isn't that powerful? There's nothing we could do where God's not going to love us. You are loved, you are valued, you are cherished. This is fresh in the minds of the disciples that, 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 that these people, he's preaching to, that he's, that, he's, that he's confronting in a sense. They put Jesus on the cross, their Lord, their master, their rabbi. Yet he's saying Jesus wants you to repent, turn from your sins, and come to God. Well, that was a huge ordeal. And you could imagine, anytime you have a movement starting up, you're going to have a lot of people saying, what is going on? And in Acts chapter 4, that's exactly what happens. There's, there's a group of uh, people called the Sanhedrin. They were kind of like the judges and the rulers uh, of the Jewish people. They wanted to know what was going on. So what, what this group did was they gathered everyone together. But, but just back up a moment. Like, in one sense, just, just looking at it, you would think the message of Jesus, they lived a perfect life, that he died, that he rose again, that he loves us, that, that we get to spend all eternity with him. That no matter what happens to us here, we are going to be in the presence of God forever. Like, that is good news. That's the gospel, the good news, that the kingdom of heaven is here now. That's good news. Like, at first glance, we would say, who has a problem with that? So N.T. Wright says this in, his, in, his, uh, in the Acts commentary that I mentioned earlier. What was it? about the early Christian message, which got the authorities and others, too, so alarmed and angry. 
wouldn't it be simply great news to know that God was alive and well and was providing a wonderful rescue operation through his chosen Messiah? And the answer, as we will discover in chapter 4 and 5 and 6 and 7 and 8 and 9 and all throughout the New Testament and beyond, the answer is no. It's not great news for everyone. Not if you were in power. Not if you were one of the people who had rejected and condemned Jesus, the Messiah. And not if you were in charge of the central institution that administered God's justice, God's law, the way of life for God's people. And you strongly suspected that this movement was trying to upstage you and perhaps diminish your influence. Because if you would fall in that category, this would not be good news. This would be threatening news. And with that backdrop, we really have the start of conflict from day one of the early church because people were threatened at the message of Jesus. They were holding on to their power They were holding on to the prestige. They were holding on to their influence, making that more important than the fact that Jesus was the Messiah and that he did conquer the grave. Well, they're talking to these, the Sanhedrin and the the Sadducees and the Pharisees and all these uh, religious leaders are talking uh, to Peter and John, but it's starting to get dark, and they said, we got to continue this tomorrow, so they throw them in prison. They get thrown in prison, and, and, and the next part of Acts says that even though they were thrown in prison, 5,000 were added to their number. Again, Luke here, uh, Luke here in, the, in the book of Acts is saying 5,000 were added to their number. Is that just amazing? Like, like they are thrown in prison. They stand up for the faith. They're thrown in prison, and 5,000 were added to their number. Now, in, in, in verses 7 to 12, they want to find out, these religious leaders, the next day, they want to find out how was this man healed. This homeless man at the gate called Beautiful, right in front of the temple, was healed. They want to know. So in Acts chapter 4, verses 7 to 12, here's what we read. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to him, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel... It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to humankind or mankind by which we must be saved. Wow. You can imagine the uh, uncomfortableness going on here with the Sanhedrin. 
with this ruling group because what this ruling group wanted to do is they wanted to silence Peter and John from proclaiming what Jesus did. But they knew they couldn't throw him in prison. They knew they couldn't say Peter and John are lying because people saw this man, this homeless man who was paralyzed but now could walk. So they got together and they're trying to process and they're, they're racking their brains. What are we to do? And here's what they come up with. They came up with this idea. They said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to tell them. They can no longer teach about Jesus. They can no longer talk about this man who was healed. <laughs> you think that worked? So they get everyone together. They call in Peter and John, and they said, okay, um, here's what we have for you. Since we are the ones in charge, you listen to us, you do what we do. Verse 18 of chapter 4. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, what is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. They said that no other name under heaven, only by the name of Jesus, is the name by which we must be saved. And then they go on after they're told by the authorities, do not do this. They said, you judge by your own self, but I'm more concerned about what God says. We cannot help but talk about Jesus. And you could imagine those religious leaders didn't like that message at that time. Religious leaders were fighting against that. They didn't... They, they started to, to get the sense that maybe they were losing some control and some power. And Peter and John were just saying, we're going to follow what God wants us to do. And if there's ever any laws that make us go against what God wants us to do as followers of Jesus, the time we break that is, is if it goes against what God tells us to do. Because God's law supersedes human law. And they couldn't help but preach about Jesus. And maybe let's let that be our prayer and our statement that we can't help but talk about Jesus. But let's do it with boldness. Let's do it with love. Let's do it with respect. Let's do it with grace. Let's do it with humility. And let's do it with wisdom. But let's not shy away from talking about Jesus. Let's not shy away from being intentional about having conversations of faith. Let's not shy away by asking people, who do you think Jesus is? Or asking them, what's your faith background? As the band comes, the story ends like this in, in Acts chapter 4. And verses 23 to 31, what we have going on here is they're released because the, the, the Sanhedrin couldn't really do anything about them as much as they wanted to. And here's what the early, what, what, what Peter and John did in Acts chapter 4, verse 31. Or verse 23, rather. 
On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. I'm just saying they must have been excited. Like, like they were just in front of all these religious rulers who probably lorded it over them for all these years. They realized that Jesus is the Messiah, and they realized now they have no power, but now they submit only to the King Jesus. Now they're going back to the believers, and they're excited. They're telling everybody about that risen Jesus and the power that there is in the name of Jesus. Like There was excitement going on, and they're talking about Jesus and they can't stop talking about Jesus and they start praying and it's Jesus and they're praying and praying and praying and then and then we read this when they heard this they raised their voices together in prayer to God I like that because it makes me feel okay for being loud <laughs> thanks for that when they heard this they raised their voices together in prayer to God Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with their Gentiles and people of Israel in the city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you've anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. They're praying that even with their threats, even with the tension so high, Lord, give us boldness. They're not saying take it away. They said give us boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Verse 31, and they prayed. The place where they were meeting was shaken, and there, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. May we take these words of Scripture to heart, and may we ask the Lord for boldness, not to get us out of a situation, but to pray for boldness and wisdom and whatever situation we're in. And may God be glorified through all that we do. Amen? Let's stand together.